My brothers and sisters, let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. My friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have taken upon our sin and that you have rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that gift that you pass to us now. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We, of course, are here together to celebrate that momentous event, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most crucial event in all of human history. Now, there have been a ton of incredibly important events throughout human history. This happens to be the 158th anniversary of the ending of the American Civil War. Certainly a momentous event. This is the 82nd anniversary of the ending of World War II in Europe. Certainly a momentous event. And yet here what we do, we come to celebrate what I understand as the central, core, most important event in all of human history. Now, you've kind of got a chicken and egg thing going with the incarnation of Jesus. We celebrate during Christmas. But I would say that even given Christmas and what took place on Friday that we celebrated, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, nevertheless, this day that we celebrate today is the most momentous event, the most momentous day in all of human history, the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he burst out of the tomb and he paved the way for each and every one of us. The Bible speaks very clearly of the facts of the resurrection and asserts that truth to us over and over again. The Bible speaks of the importance of the resurrection. That if the resurrection had not occurred, then all of the events leading up to that, including the sacrifice of Christ on Friday, without the resurrection, all of that would have meant nothing for us. The Bible speaks very clearly about the centrality of the resurrection. That if it were not for the resurrection, your exercise of faith, what you are doing right here, right now, is an utter, complete waste of time, and that you are fools for being here, if not for the truth, the reality of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the scriptures affirm over and over again that that resurrection has a huge impact and influence in everything that shapes your Christian life. I know that not everybody here is a fan of sports. Uh, just as an aside, if not, why not? What's, what's the matter with you? Okay, uh, I know that everybody's not a fan of, of sports, so you'll pardon this for a second here as we do this, but why, why, why do we celebrate our sports teams? Picture a winning sports team. Uh, why do you celebrate a winning sports team? Well, I think in part, obviously, it is in, it, what you're doing is you're acknowledging the 
uh, incredible athleticism, whatever took place on the court or on the field or whatever, that there's usually some very remarkable athleticism that's going on that is well worth celebrating. You look at it and go, wow, that was really something, you know, and you can remark on, on the athleticism of what just took place. But also, I think that there's something about the, the reflection of a winning team on the community all around it. When the Pittsburgh teams win, it, it says something about Pittsburgh, and there's kind of a positive reflection of Pittsburgh, and you kind of go, yay, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, of course, there's something to say about the fact that if you're celebrating a winning team in Pittsburgh that you root for, it's your team, and it's kind of a reflection upon you. In the same way, we have gathered here today to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do so for a couple of reasons. One, because the event itself is remarkable. And it says something incredible about our Lord Jesus. It tells us all about who he is, that because of the resurrection, we have assurance of his standing with God the Father. That we have the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of the Father right now. Everything about him is remarkable because of the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today. So we justly and rightly gather together and celebrate with excitement because of what Christ has done by raising from the dead. But also, it's a reflection of this community. We are the people of the resurrection. We all are marked just like if you're rooting for a sports team that wins and it marks the whole community, we are marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we celebrate in part, not just because of what it says about Christ, although that's worthy on, all on its own, but also because what it means for Jesus Christ is reflected in our community, in who we have gathered to be, what we are doing right now. But finally, we also celebrate the resurrection because of what Christ has done and our identification with Christ. What happens here is what he has happened to him impacts, influences every individual in this room. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are marked by the resurrection, not only as part of this community, but individually, the impact, the influence of what occurs there flows through every one of you. I hope and pray during this service and as you reflect upon it and as we talk through this passage that you realize that what we're doing is not just looking back at an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We are talking about an event that happened 2,000 years ago that is intended to shape not generically your life, but every minute of your life. And Paul does a great job of capturing just a little bit of that implication. Throughout the New Testament, it's consistent how Paul consistently and, and the other gospel writers, uh, the other biblical writers, focus upon the resurrection and the influence on the resurrection on how we live our lives and what it, how it impacts us. I want to pick up just on two things here out of the Romans passage that I read. Again, if you have your Bibles open for you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Before I 
point out a couple of implications of the resurrection that I think are present here. We need to make sure we understand the text as a whole. Is it up here? Okay. Uh, this text is not, it, it, it's not overly convoluted. It's not, uh, Paul's letter sometimes can be kind of disjointed. Sometimes he can use specialty, specialty terms. None of that is present here. Um, but if you don't work your way slowly enough through this passage, you can miss certain things about it. So just to, to get us all on the same page really quickly, the passage begins with the word if. This is an if-then statement. If the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, then these things are going to happen. This is an if-then statement. Um, so naturally, when we hear if-then statements, the question is, well, do I satisfy the if? Is the if part of what's happened in my life? That's a natural way to read this passage, and I understand that. But we are jumping into the middle of an argument here. What Paul is saying in the surrounding passages here, and this is as straightforward as you can put it, if you are a Christian, the Spirit dwells within you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's Paul's argument up to this point. And so then what he says here, when he says, if the Spirit of the Lord dwells within you, it's not really an if, it's a sense. It's, a, it's an if-then statement, but it's it asserting something. Sense the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Notice that the Spirit is capitalized there. Here we're not talking about uh, the human spirit or the spirit of, of uh, love or the spirit of Pittsburgh or something like that. What we're saying is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit. But notice how the Holy Spirit is described here. The Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who is it that raised Jesus from the dead? Well, in Pauline's understanding, uh, this is a specific focus upon God himself, and particularly God the Father. And so what the passage says here, if the Spirit of God the Father, but he doesn't just say if the Spirit of God dwells within you, he says, if the spirit of the one who raised you from the dead. Why is that? Because he wants to focus in on this particular characteristic of God. We can talk about God all we want, and we should talk about God all we want. But specifically, the part of God that Paul here wants to emphasize is this characteristic of God that he raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is what is in mind here as Paul says these words. Yes, if the Spirit w dwells within you, but specifically, if the Spirit of the one who has the power to raise the dead dwells within you, uh, dwelling within you. Um, I know that there are people that like vacations at RBO, VRBOs, did I say VRBOs? Yeah, or um, what's, the, what's the other thing? Uh, Airbnbs or something like that, okay? Uh, and we've done a couple of those, and I always feel like I'm living in somebody else's house. And when I complain about that, that's because I'm living in somebody else's house. You know, and I, and I realize, and, and it's just wrong, and I don't like that. And then I come back home, and I go, ah, this is my home. This is what we're talking about, okay? When we look at this phrase that the Spirit dwells within you, for a lot of people... The idea is the Spirit is coming kind of like a VRBO or an Airbnb. He's, he's visiting your heart and he's checking to make sure everything is good there and stuff like that. And that is absolutely not what the Scripture says. 
The Scripture is making the argument here that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That is, that he sets up his home within you. So if you are a Christian, your home is not your home. Your home, your heart, your life is his home. If the Holy Spirit has resided, resides within you, if he dwells within you, if he has made his home in your heart, if you are a Christian, that is exactly what happens. And it's just, again, not this generic spirit. It is the spirit of the resurrection. If the spirit of the resurrection dwells within you, then what? Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. This is something that Paul reiterates over and over again and is captured in lots of places in the scriptures. The implication, the, the connection being, if Christ was raised from the dead, then you too will be raised from the dead. This is the first implication for us here this, evening, this morning. If Christ was raised from the dead, then you too, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, will also be raised from the dead. Now, being raised from the dead, the language that I'm trying to capture here is exactly what the scriptures <coughs> capture. Our mortal bodies bursting forth from the grave, just as Christ's mortal body bursts forth from the tomb, the intent for every believer in this room is that your physical body will once again raise from the dead. Death is not the end. We happen to live in a society that is really focused upon the material world. We live in a world that over the past couple hundred years in particular has shaped our and has narrowed our vision more and more so that all we can see, or mostly all we can see, is the material world around us. And so the spiritual world, the realities of anything beyond our physical comforts and our immediate vicinity, is pushed off, ignored in our society, even denied at different places. Oh, there might be a spiritual world, but so what? We don't pay any attention to it. And having done so, Christians have lost a tremendous tool that the Bible gives us to understand this physical world around us. How do we understand this physical world around us? If indeed you are a Christian and Christ's spirit of resurrection dwells within you, then it is true that this is not all there is. And the suffering and the pain, and the sorrow, and the sadness that we all are going to experience every single day. If we divorce it from that gift that Jesus has given to us by raising from the dead and promising that we too will be raised from the dead, then we have nothing to ultimately understand the pain and the suffering of this world. But because of the resurrection, because Christ did raise from the dead, and because he promises that for every Christian in this room and beyond, 
then we have the assurance that this is not the end, that this is not the only world. And so we can face up the suffering. We can endure the pain. We can put up with the difficulties of this life. Why? Because we know because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he too will raise us up. That this is not the end for believers. You take away that concept, that reality, that life that Christians are supposed to live in every single minute. And so many of us don't. And so the suffering and the difficulties, which are all real, they overwhelm us because we have given away the one good tool that Christ has given to us to suffer as he has suffered because we will raise like he has risen. But it's not just the suffering. It's just not the pain and the sorrow. It is also the joys and the pleasures of this world. Every good and perfect thing that you experience in this world, every satisfying moment, every joyous occasion, every pleasurable event that takes place in your life is a foretaste of that which is yet to come. Robbed of that promise, robbed of that tool to understand all of those good things, they become pursuits, they become an end to themselves, they become idolatrous in our minds. They become the only thing we're interested in because we can't see anything beyond. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he rose again from the dead and promises that to you, then suddenly everything you experience here upon this earth that is so glorious and so wonderful, it takes on a completely different character. It's a foretaste of what is yet to come. Can you imagine? Because of the resurrection of our Lord, there is yet more ahead. There is more for you. Deeper, greater, richer in every possible way. And we are supposed to understand all the blessings of this world from that standpoint. It's a promise given to us in Jesus Christ because of the Spirit who, who dwells within us is the Spirit of the resurrection then Christ too will raise us up in our mortal bodies. The first implication of the resurrection is that it allows us to see the world the way God intends us to see it. He gave us this beautiful world. He intends for us to rejoice in it, to love every minute of it, but only because it points us towards a deeper reality that every Christian will experience when we too experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice the text speaks a little differently than this, and it's kind of, you have to read it carefully in order to catch this. Secondly, there in the then statement, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. It doesn't say will also raise you into life, which is true, but it will give life to your mortal bodies. The spirit of the resurrection, the resurrection power of God right now indwells believers. I, I tried to figure out a good way of articulating this. You know, it's kind of like you're standing there and there's a shock wave and it zaps you and, you know, all Christians maybe should walk around like this the whole time. No, we shouldn't. But something like that. Why? Because we are being enlivened not just in the resurrection, 
not just future, but this power of the resurrection indwells you right now. It's not just implications for all the things that are in the future. It's an implication for how you live your life right now. My friends, you have the spirit of the resurrection. The resurrection power indwelling you, setting up home in your heart right now. How can that not vastly shift and change every part of your life. Well, how? Why not? I think because way too many of us spend our Christian lives sleepwalking. We're awake enough to know that Christ died for my sin. We're awake enough to appreciate that I'm forgiven. We're awake enough to know that there's something in the future that is for me but we are sleepwalking through the promises that that resurrection provides for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you desire to live a holy life? Don't you, don't you desire to be able, when you're confronted by, by temptations in this world, to make wise choices? Don't, don't you want to have a more vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Don't you desire to to be godly in, some, in more ways in which you are right now, not to be stuck with your current spiritual development, but then to have something ahead that you're anticipating, you're, you're eager for. Don't you desire something like that? You have, if you're a believer, you have the power of the resurrection indwelling you right now. Godliness is not just some type of a future hope. It is a present reality for you. Now, not perfection, but nevertheless a richer, deeper holiness that is yours now. Why don't you experience it? Because we're sleepwalking through our Christian life. Don't you desire to have a faith that would hold on passionately and tight during times of difficulty. Where when the hard things come and you hear about terrible tragedies or a terrible tragedy happens in your life and everything in you and everybody around you wants to say, this is miserable, where is God in this? Don't you desire to have that kind of faith that says, yes, this is miserable and this is terrible, but I hold passionately to my Lord Jesus Christ. That is not just for the future. You have dwelling within you the power of the resurrection. That faith is available to you now. Why do so many of us go through life and not sense that? It's because we're sleepwalking through our Christian life. Don't you desire to be able to serve others in need to know the right way to do it. To have time, to carve out that time, and to ensure that the words that you say would actually reflect positively on the gospel. That because of what you do, Jesus would be lifted up. That people's 
suffering and pain would be a little bit alleviated because of the way in which you're serving the Lord. Don't you want something like that out of your life? You have the power of the resurrection dwelling within you right now. It's not a possibility just for the future. Oh, I'm not saying we will ever be able to do it perfectly, but right now you have the possibility of holiness. Right now you have the possibility of a greater faith. Right now you have the possibility of a service of ministering to others that reflect well upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ raised from the dead. Because he rose from the dead. The same spirit of him who raised him from the dead dwells within you. So that you too now have been enlivened by Christ. Don't you want to live a life now where you're not sleepwalking through all of the blessings God has for you and that you're holding forth to the promises that are yet to come? This is for us because the Spirit indwells us. Which Spirit? The Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead. And all of this is resting upon that one reality, that one fact that we celebrate today. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, who has raised Christ from the dead. O oh Jesus Christ, who experienced the power of the resurrection. O oh Holy Spirit, who dwells within us with the power of the resurrection. Lord, we do not want to sleepwalk through our Christian lives. We want to live fully and completely what you have given to us in Jesus Christ. So we celebrate today that resurrection, not only for what it means for you, though that is so marvelous, O oh Lord, but also for the impact and the influence of what it means for us now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.